So, y'all, we are in week five of a series that we're calling Creed. Named that way for the Apostles' Creed. But I want to tell you something, and I've said this two or three times in, the, in these last five or six weeks, <clears throat> that we're not so much studying and digging into the, Apostle, the Apostles' Creed. We're, dug, we're, we're digging in and we're studying into the truth claims, the biblical truths that lie underneath the Apostles' Creed the truths that the creed stands on. The creed is not in the inspired word of God. The Bible that stands underneath that is the inspired word of God. So I really feel like I just have to clear that about every week. So far, here's what we have kind of walked through. We've talked about Jesus' birth. We've talked about who he was. Richard did a great job a few weeks ago talking about who Jesus Christ is. And then we talked about his death and what his death accomplished. We talked about his burial, and then we talked about his resurrection and what, what his resurrection means for me and you. And so today, our little section of the creed is he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So y'all, the book of Acts, the book of Acts written by Luke, Luke wrote Luke, shocker that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. That's kind of part one of the story. Uh, The Gospel of Luke is is one of the four lives, sort of lives of Christ. And then Acts is like part two for Luke. It's a continuation. And if you read Luke and then you read Acts together, you can see they just go right together. And so the book of Acts begins about six or seven weeks after the resurrection. And if you look at verse three um, in chapter one, it says this, "He, he... Christ presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus was with them, them being his guys, his disciples, and not just 10 or 12 of them, but a bunch of them, his disciples, during this 40-day period post-resurrection. And he can, the text says he continued to prove his aliveness. I don't know if aliveness is a word or not, but he continued to prove his aliveness to them and he's teaching them about what he's teaching them about the kingdom. So it's like they all went to school. Jesus' public ministry was three years. It's like they all went to school with him for three years. For nine semesters, they were at school with Jesus. And then at the end of that, there's this 40-day intensive program, this 40-day like cram course on what to do with what he taught them for three years. And then verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, and we'll get to what those things are in a second, but when, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So that's, that's the ascension, if you use that biblical word. So he was miraculously born. He died a redeeming and sacrificial death. He runs out of the grave alive and then he ascends to the Father. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Multiple passages talk about his second coming. Multiple passages. Matthew in chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Revelation um, chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 4.8. There's bunches of passages that talk about the Lord's coming back. So he's coming back. 
The Bible says that that day will come as a thief in the night. It'll come like a thief in the night. We don't know when it's coming. We don't have the vaguest idea. People need to stop trying to predict when it's going to come. Jesus himself said he didn't know when when he was coming back. We just got to be ready. So make no mistake, he's coming back, but he's coming back like a thief in the night. And so we call this time, uh, this time that's bookended by his ascension, his going up to the Father and, and his second coming, we call that time period the church age. So what is it that you and I ought to be doing during the church age? Do we sit around on our hands? Do we hang out at home playing video games? Do we just sit around idly doing nothing? Do we just wait, just wait like aimlessly wandering around doing nothing? I, I don't think so. These words that are given in Acts, they're kind of last words. We're going to get to that in a second. And last words are lasting words. Y'all, last words are a big, big deal. When you are speaking with someone and they give you their last words, it is a big deal. December 2005, back up 14 years ago, December 2005, First Sergeant Charles King Charles King kisses his pregnant wife's tummy. He hugs her and he boards a plane headed for Iraq. Before he left, though, before he hit the road heading to Iraq, he he started a journal, and that journal was designed to give to his unborn son just in case, right, just in case he starts this journal. Dear son, Charles wrote on the last page of the journal, he said, I hope this book is somewhat helpful to you Please forgive me for the poor handwriting and grammar. I tried to finish this book before I was deployed to Iraq. It has to be something special to you. I've been writing uh, it in the States, in Kuwait, and in Iraq. Never be ashamed to cry. No man is too good to get on his knees and humble himself to God. Follow your heart and look for the strength of a woman. Charles was trying to anticipate questions that his son was going to have in the days that come just in case. Favorite team, he said, I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. Favorite meal, chicken, fried or baked, preferably fried. Collard greens, cornbread, and yams. First kiss, eighth grade. He wrote to his son about faith and about failure and about heartache and about hope. Towards women, Charles was like a, like a knight in shining armor kind of guy. And that was something that he expected of his son. And he wrote about that. He said, remember who taught you to speak, to walk, And to be a gentleman, he wrote to Jordan. Ultimately, his son's name was Jordan. Uh, So he wrote to Jordan in in this journal. He said, these are your first teachers, my little prince. Protect them, embrace them, and always treat them like a queen. Charles was a black guy who often felt the nasty of racism. But he wrote to his son, he said, it's not fair to judge somebody by the color of their skin, where they're raised, or their religious beliefs. Appreciate people for who they are and learn from their differences. Jordan was born in April 2006, four months after uh, Charles was deployed. Charles saw him in September. He was on leave uh, five months later in September. He saw him. So he deployed in December. The, The kid was born in April. He sees him in September. He wrote, God blessed me above all I could imagine. I have no regrets. Serving your country is great. First Sergeant King was killed uh, October 14, 2006, 
a month after holding his new baby boy. An IED blew up, blew up right next to his armored vehicle. You think those are lasting words to that kid, to Jordan? For the rest of his life, for his children's lives, for his grandchildren's lives, that man spoke to them, right, in that journal. First Sergeant King spoke to his great-great-grandchildren, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, through those last words. Well, Jesus' last words are recorded in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. We looked at Acts 1-9 a minute ago when Jesus ascends to the Father. Now let's look one verse back in, in Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 has been called for 2,000 years the pivotal verse in the New Testament. You should have, if you've got a worship guide, uh, there's a fill-in-the-blank there. The pivotal verse in the New Testament. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those are Jesus Christ's absolute last words to his kids. Ed, I will empower you. That's what those words say. Ed, I will empower you. When you place saving faith in me, the Holy Spirit is going to come to live inside of you. And because of that, because the Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of you, because you went from, from being spiritually dead, not sick, but dead, from death to life. He says you will. He doesn't say you might. He doesn't say you can. He doesn't say if you can figure out time to squeeze me in. He says you will be my witnesses. Esesthemu in the Greek. You will be my. That is, it's like a, it's like a state or a quality of being. And it's in future tense, you will be my witnesses. But the mood, I'm getting down in the weeds, but the mood of the verb is indicative, which means that it is a statement of fact. It's not a wish. It's not a, a, it's not a, a suggestion, right? It's a statement of, of fact. And yes, it's in the future, but it's a fact. There is zero doubt. The way it's written in, the, in Greek, there is zero doubt. You will be my witnesses. So that's where I want to land today in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The key verse in all the New Testament. The whole rest of the, of the book, the whole rest of the New Testament hinges on Acts 1.8. The whole rest of the book is a commentary on you will be my witnesses. All of the rest, that is the pivotal place in the Scripture. And it's kind of been debated over time, is it a command or is it a statement of fact? And I'm going to say yes to both of those. Jesus tells his disciples about the resource, about the content, and about the scope of the task. The resource of the task, the content of the task, and the scope of the task. So first, the resource. Beginning of verse 8, but you will receive power when who? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus tells his disciples that their primary resource is the Holy Spirit who will come upon them. It's just like the Holy Spirit came upon Mary at the beginning of Luke in chapter 1 in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit, the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Y'all, their witness, their witness will be bold because of the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. This 
absolutely applies universally. The whole church has got to jump on that wagon. Well, what's the church? The church is the body of all believers for all time. So all of us, if you're a Christ follower, all of us, if you are a Christian, all of us, if you are a believer, have got to take up that task. All of us who receive and believe the gospel become witnesses. And here's what this commission really does. Here's what this, you will be my witnesses, what it really does. It lays an obligation. It lays a responsibility. It lays a duty on all Christians. The Christian church, according to the book of Acts, is a, is a missionary force empowered by the Holy Spirit that responds obediently to Christ's words. Throughout the book of Acts, throughout that entire book of Acts, because really the Acts of the Apostles, that's really what it is. It's what, what happened, what's the history. Acts is a big-time history book. What happened, Christ dies, buried, resurrected, ascends to the Father. What do, what do his guys do? That's the book of Acts. And so we also see, uh, we see the church doing this. And, and we also see the Lord jumping in strategically at different times to, to provide uh, support, to provide direction, really, to provide impetus for taking the mission across cultural barriers and for taking the mission across a geogra- geographical barriers. We look in Acts chapter 8. Philip, one of Jesus' guys, Philip, he crosses paths with an Ethiopian uh, eunuch who was a court official like a, uh, for the queen, like the, the speaker for the president or something. He was a court official for this queen of Ethiopia. Verse 26 in chapter 8 says this. Now an angel of the Lord, now think about this. This is the Lord kind of de- jumping into the story. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So what does Philip do? He gets up and he heads south. What does the text say? Now an angel of the Lord said this to Philip. So Philip gets up and he heads south and guess what he finds? He finds this Ethiopian dude who had been in Jerusalem, but he was headed back home in a chariot. And he was reading the Bible. The text says he was reading the Bible. The text not only says he was reading the Bible, it tells us that he was reading the book of Isaiah. So now, verse 29 chapter 8. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip, so what do you think Philip did? He goes over and he joins the chariot. And Philip asked him, hey man, are you really getting this Isaiah stuff that you're reading? Verse 31 says, and he said, he, the Ethiopian eunuch, how can I get it unless someone guides me? And he the Ethiopian eunuch, invites Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip shares the gospel with him. Philip leads him to the Lord, and they stop and Philip baptizes him. Verse 39 says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The Lord orchestrated the intersecting of their lives. Philip was obedient to what the Lord said for him to do. The Spirit told him this. An angel of the Lord told him at the beginning to go down to Gaza. So the Lord is orchestrating this intersection of their lives. You you can't share your story 
if you sit alone all the time. There ain't nobody to share it with. So your life and your path and somebody else's path have got to cross. God is, throughout the book of Acts, is crossing people's paths. There are bunches of examples like this. Write these down, just a couple. Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 9 through 16. Acts 11, verses 20 and 21. Acts 13, 2. Acts 18, 9 and 10. Acts 23, 11. There's bunches. So the Holy Spirit is the resource. And so His power empowers us as believers to fulfill the task that the Lord has given us. So you got the resource of the task. Then you have the content. The content of the task. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. The church. All of us ought to be supposed to be a missionary army. That was the deal 2,000 years ago, and that is the deal today. Jesus says to be His witnesses. To be a witness is, is what? Is to speak from, from a personal knowledge of facts, from personal experiences, from the significance of those personal experiences. Now, the apostles, the apostles, the guys that were with him, his disciples, very unique experiences for sure because they were physically with the Lord for three years. So for sure, very unique experiences that they had. But everybody for all time that believes and embraces the truth of their testimony is a witness. You, if you're a believer today, me, I am a witness. So what is, what is your witness? What is that? It is your story. It is looking at your life before Christ versus looking at your life in Christ. Paul, throughout his letters, uses that term, in Christ, to be in Christ. So your witness is what your experiences, what it looked like before Christ versus what it looks like in Christ. Before, you were lost. You had a debt to pay that you couldn't pay. You had a conundrum. And it seems like you had no solution. So, suppose that, that you're a doctor and there was a disease and everybody on the planet had the disease. Their symptoms may be different. Your symptoms of the disease may be different from your symptoms, but you got the same disease. And so you're a doctor, though. And let's say that you, and that disease is fatal, by the way, and everybody on the planet has it. And you're a doctor, and you're a super crazy, super smart physician. You're a skilled physician, and you found the cure for the disease that's infected the whole planet, and it's a fatal disease. What would you and I say about a doctor who knew that everybody was dying without a solution and wouldn't share the solution that they just found? That is the reality, y'all, for most, no, I don't want to say most, for many Christians. The Bible says the world is dead in all, everybody, dead in their trespasses and sin. And if you and I have met Jesus, we have found the cure. We have the cure. How in the world can we keep that to ourselves? How can you... How dare us, how dare us as Christ followers be on our way to heaven and not care that people are drowning, they're drowning, y'all, and they're on their way to a Christless eternity. How dare us not share with them? How can we not make sharing the gospel a priority? How can we do that? If I have the cure for a deadly disease, I'm going to share it. I, and I believe John, the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 1, 
gives us sort of some incredible words about, about a witness, about being a witness and about what a witness is. Here's what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you. That's a witness declaring what you see and what you hear and what you feel. And you know, you don't get to decide to be a witness. You just decide what kind of witness are you going to be. Because you are one, good, bad, or indifferent. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the lawyer for the defense. And Christ is on trial. And the Spirit is calling me and you into court, into the court of the world, to testify, to give a testimony. Right? The Holy Spirit is the defense. Christ is on trial and me and you are the witnesses to give a testimony. And, and, and so you're going to give some kind of testimony. I don't know what kind, but you're going to give some kind. Every Christian is a witness. Every person that is a believer is a witness. And you have the power to be a dramatic and effective witness if you're walking in the Spirit. And so you and your witness also has the power, though, to do damage. Hey, man, the world is the judge. The lawyer for the defense is the Holy Spirit. And you and I are called to give a testimony. We're given some kind. I wonder what kind we're given. I hope and I pray that we're given a testimony that's going to support the case for Christ. So what is that witness? It is, y'all, it's our salvation story. It's our salvation story. This is not a big complicated thing. You don't have to write a book about it. It's just your story. And you're, there's a couple hundred people in here. There's a couple hundred different stories. My story's different than yours, and yours is different from yours. But if you're a believer, you got a salvation story. But guess what? If you're not a believer, if you don't have a salvation story, it's because you don't have salvation. This is not complicated. So you have the resource. The Holy Spirit is our resource. The content is our salvation story. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you don't have a salvation story, you don't have salvation. And we're going to get to that in a little while too. But then now we have the scope. He gives us the scope of the task. He says, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the scope in Acts is really given in, uh, in geographical terms. And that, and that verse is almost like, it's almost like a table of content for the rest of the book of Acts. The first seven or eight chapters are in Jerusalem. The next four or five chapters are in all of Judea and Samaria. And the rest of the book of Acts is about the end, taking it to the end of the earth. And Luke is thinking in terms of fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Isaiah written 800 years before chapter 49 verse 6. He, the Lord, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. The Lord wants his salvation to reach the end of the earth. In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, verse 8 says. So the scope at the end of it all, the scope is all people everywhere. Across geographically, culturally, religiously, any way you cut it, the scope is all people everywhere. But it starts here and then it works out from to here and then to here and then to here. For me and you, for me and you, our Jerusalem, because this totally applies it is a universal principle that transcends time. For me and you, our Jerusalem is our own home. Our home. 
our family, our husband, our wife, our kids, our mama, our daddy, whoever it is. It's got to start in our own home, but then it goes out from there. So we got the resource, the Holy Spirit. We got the content, and the content is our salvation story. And the scope from here to here to here. Y'all, it is so black and white. It is so crystal clear. Our task, it is not complicated. It is go be my witnesses everywhere. That's the commission that the Lord, those are his last words, y'all. That is the task that he gives us. So then that really does beg a question. Why do most people not share their story? Why, why do most not share? Here's why there's probably a number of reasons. I believe the reason, one main reason, it, that, that we don't do more evangelism is because we really lost our concern for the lost. We really lost the notion of what happens when someone dies lost. It ain't pleasant to think about, right? And so we've lost that thought of what happens. In fact, most people that are lost don't even know that they're lost, right? They, they, it's, not in their, um, it's not in their lingo. They don't, they don't even, it's not something they even think about because they don't talk in those terms. It's like this. It's like a little kid at Disney World who is enjoying the Mickey Mouse. He's enjoying Mickey Mouse. He's enjoying Donald Duck, and he's loving the Slinky Dog Dash or whatever that new thing is called, or Space Mountain, or one of those. What's it called? Okay, if you say so, Toy Story. He's enjoying all the rides, right? He's having an awesome time, and he's having all this fun, and in the middle of the crowd... He gets separated from his dad. And when he gets separated from his dad, he don't even know that he's lost. Y'all, my youngest son, Will, when he was about, however old you are when you're about that tall. Anybody remember Jimboree? Oh, my gosh. All right, Jimboree, cool little clothing store. I don't even know if they still exist or not. We're in Jimboree. Me and Susan and Zach is about four, and Will, four or five, and Will's about one or two. All of a sudden, Will's gone. She, you know, he was in the mall. Jim Reeves was in the mall. He shoots out of the store, and he's down the mall. Anybody ever had a kid that gets out of your sight? Panic, like panic. So we are freaking out. Well, Will's out in the mall somewhere, right? He don't know he's lost. He don't have any idea he's lost. The dad is looking furiously for him, right? Now, there would be a time, probably if he stays lost enough, out there long enough if he if he may find himself in despair if he may find himself in the bottom of a pit somewhere out there he would realize his lostness and reach up for the father right but at this moment he doesn't even know he's lost so this kid in disney world it's the same thing so the father is searching furiously and and, and look satan has influenced the world to give you and I just enough distraction so that you don't even know that you've gotten lost in your spiritual Disney World or your spiritual Jimboree. we got a world full of people who are so busy and they don't even understand that the, quote, fun in the world, the clubs, the social relationships, the money, the parties, the movies, the job is all a satanic camouflage 
to keep them from realizing that they have been separated from God. Mankind spends so much time having, quote, fun that they don't even realize that they're lost. So now the parents of this kid in Disney World and me and Susan, because we went to the security at Peachtree Mall, um, we're looking for him. We go to the security and, and, and to help, we got to find our son. And so the security officer leads the parents, this kid in Disney World, to the lost boy who still had no concept of his lostness. In super simple terms, y'all, God wants to be reunited with lost people. You and I are the security guards bringing lost people into contact, back into contact with the God who wants to regain fellowship with them. Fellowship was broken in the garden. And God, in His sovereignty, decided that He will use His church, His people, to bring people back to Him. That's us. As Christians, we're the ones that God has chosen He's chosen us to deliver his message. He has chosen. He gets to decide. We're his, and he decided to use us to deliver his message. So really, what can we as individuals and what can all of us together collectively as Church on the Trail, what can we do? How do we, uh, how do we put one foot in front of the other to play some kind of a role in being his witnesses? What can we do? I want to pass those cards out, y'all. We're going to pass out some invite cards to you. These invite cards, they look like this on one side, and you're going to get it in a second. They look like this on one side. They look like this on the other side. We're going to talk about these in a second. I want you to, y'all, lower the lights. I want y'all to watch this little video because we're, I, here's what I'm talking about, putting one foot in front of the other. And doing something. Because we are not going to sit around and do nothing and wait doing nothing. Hi there, I'm Jesse, the founder of TrueLife.org. And we're here at Thomas Road Baptist Church to help show you how easy it is to evangelize and invite people with these TrueLife.org invitation cards. Good to see you guys. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming. So we're encouraging evangelism and invitation in churches, not just Thomas Road Baptist Church, but your church as well. I'm sure your pastor probably gave you a truelife.org card today to hand out. And these cards are so unique because it takes the fear away from evangelism and invitation. That means that we don't have to be afraid of the questions that might be asked or the time it's going to take. We're not having a starting point. What if the recipient is afraid of going to church? Well, they can easily go online and get free video answers to questions like, how do we get the Bible? Why do bad things happen? Where do you go when you die? Does God love gay people? Is Mormonism true? Are Jehovah's Witnesses right? And the list goes on and on for any worldview. And then, of course, they can easily find your church on the Church Finder. Hey, Will, so we're pulling up to a gas station right now. And all I need you to do is just go out and simply say, Hey, I'd love to have you come to my church on Sunday. If you have any questions, you can go online and get video answers. Okay? Okay. All right, here we go. God bless you. I'm praying for you, okay? Hi, excuse me. How are you ladies doing? Good, Yeah, hey, I don't know if you go to a church anywhere in the area, but I'd like to invite you to Thomas Road Church. See here. And, uh, and if you don't have any time to make it to church right yet, you can see on the back, 
uh, truelive.org, where you get free video answers to life's hard questions. And there's all kinds of different videos on there to answer questions that people have, like, is there a God? Why do we suffer? And things like that. So take a look at it. Remember the Lord loves you. And well, do you feel better right now? I mean, do you feel relieved that, you know, at first you feel like a little bit... A little nervous at first, yeah. yeah. But now I know you, I've, I've given opportunity to people to find answers in God's Word, and that's... That's exciting, you know? That's awesome. Well, you did a great job. And, and they seem to be very open to it. Sure. You know? Would you suggest the same for people watching? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go out and do it. It's easy. Katrina, it's your turn. Oh, yes. Have some fun. Yes. You ready to do this? Yes. I'm Where a bit nervous, though. You are? Yeah, I'm a little nervous for you, too. I know you're going to do well, though. Because yeah, um, so, I've um, never done this before. I always <laughs> wanted to, but... I'm nervous, but well, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm praying for you, sister. I know you're going to do fun. Here we are. Okay, good. Hey, you want to talk? You can talk to her. Hi. How are you? Good. Yeah. This is, I would love to come, uh, you to come to my church next week. I don't go to church. I don't care. You don't go to church? You know, you can go online, too, if you want to. You, you know. Yeah. Okay. God bless you. So what you do is just keep going. Okay? Yeah. And someone else, will, someone else will take the card yeah. that she didn't want to. Mm -hmm. Do you go to church? Mm, Sometimes. Oh, great. That's good. So I would love to see you. I mean, come over to my church next week. And um, if you, some reason, if you, if you, I mean, you're not ready, you can always go onto this website, like truelife.org. And uh, there are some free video answers. Okay. But there are a lot of questions we have sometimes. And there are a lot of videos explaining those questions. And you can always go... And check those videos and have the answers. Okay. Yeah. It's been nice meeting you. Have a great day. God you bless. too. Yeah. Hey, Will. Yes. Man, we had a great time in there. Oh, yeah. Katrina surprised me. I mean, I, I knew she was going to do good. But she did really, really good. Thank you. <laughs> you did. Well, you know what happened? What happened? Uh, initially, there was um, one lady who didn't, um, you know, didn't want to go take the card, yes. and she was like, "No, I'm not going to come to church." And I was really, you know, <laughs> but then I didn't give up, yeah. and he was with me, and we went on ahead, and we gave the cards to a lot of people, and surprisingly, it was really, it wasn't really hard, and no. they were really receptive, and I loved it. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm so thankful that you just did my job. I don't have to explain nearly as much anymore to you back in the sanctuaries. We're not a different person than you. We are made in God's image just like you are. And every Christian has the opportunity to do this. And I can promise you from the bottom of my heart that there is nothing better than to share your faith with people. So I'm challenging you today, share your faith, hand out these cards, and see what God can do in your life and in the lives of others. And so we, we have partnered with truelife.org. The guy's name is Jesse Connors. And so about five weeks ago probably, Susan and I were in Virginia because we were shooting. There's probably 50 or 60 videos on, on that website. And I don't imagine that any of y'all have ever even seen that site. But there's probably 50 or 60 videos on it. We were up there and I shot. He's doing worldview videos. So he's doing a, uh, an, a Hindu they're apologetics videos. They're defending the faith videos. Um, they answer tough questions. So one, he's doing it now, working on a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Wiccan, an atheist, 
we shot when we were up there a Roman Catholic video and a, and a Judaism video. And the, the, the Judaism and the Roman Catholic will probably be ready in about the next 45 days. But they're good, very high-quality videos. And so I want to you know, ask you all this question. How many of you can commit, you got five cards, can, how many of you can commit this week to inviting somebody to church? Raise your hand if you can commit to do that. Okay, so that's one person. That's one person, one card. Invite five, right? Invite five. So I don't know how many people raise their hand, probably 60 or 70 or 80. It should be everybody, but that's okay. But I'm going to ask you next week, did you do it? You know, did you do it? I'm going to ask you next week. And I'm not talking, now, I may be talking about this. They were going up to total strangers. And that's fine. And I get it. I mean, I get that that's an awkward, that can be a little bit awkward. I'm going to give you some language because this is pragmatic. I'm going to give you some language that will take a little bit of that awkwardness away. Um, but we're talking about people that you work with. We're talking about uh, people in your own family. So not necessarily, now that can be harder too sometimes, people in your own family. But, but it may be total strangers. It may be a chance encounter with somebody in the line at Target or Walmart or Publix or somewhere. It, it, who knows? But invite people to church. And, and, and here's, I feel like I'm a real estate trainer again because we're fixing to role play a little bit. But here's the way I think the language is. Like, and that video was real. You know, it was totally real. That was not staged or anything because you saw the young lady. She tanked the first one, right? Right? She was totally rejected. And so that may happen. Some people are going to say no for sure. Some people are going to say yes for sure. Here's what I know. This is not about building church on the trail. It's about building the kingdom. And so the language that I would use is this. You know, it's just, hey, y'all, how you doing? Or, hey, how are you doing? My name is Ed. If your name's not Ed, don't say my name is Ed. But say, you know, my name is Ed. Um, and, and, and I just want to ask you, if you don't have a church home, I would love to invite you to visit with us next Sunday at 1030. And if you can't, I understand but on the back of this card is a website where you can uh, find some video answers to some really tough questions. And so what you're doing when you don't even skip a breath between those two statements, you're not putting that person on the spot to say, I need a commitment that you're going to be here Sunday. You're not asking them to tell me yes, tell me no. You're spreading seeds out there. If you notice the young lady, the first question she asked one of those people is, do you go to church? Don't ask somebody that. Don't ask somebody that. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, not, it's all up in your face. It's really, if you don't have a church home, if you don't have a church home, I'd love to invite you to come visit with us next Sunday at 1030. But if you don't, I understand for sure. On the back of this card is a website where you can get some answers to some really tough questions. God bless you. Have a great day. Next. And go to the next person. And so I hope y'all will take this and embrace it. And I'm going to say it again because my brain is wrapped around the kingdom. It is about the kingdom. If that person doesn't ever step foot in this door and they get home and they pull that card out of their pocket when they're throwing their jeans in the washing machine and they put it down on top of the washing machine and they don't think about it for six months until something happens in their life. Something happens and, and, and they're in the pit for whatever reason 
and they glance at that card and they go to that website, right? They go to that website or they come here. Either way, they go to that website and they watch a video and somehow that leads them to the foot of the cross. That's what we're supposed to do. Half the time, 90% of the time, we don't see, we don't see the fruit of the sharing of the gospel. Sometimes the Lord winks at you and lets you see what the fruit, lets you see what happens from it. I just believe most of the time we don't ever get to see it. It doesn't change the command. Acts 1.8 is Acts 1.8 whether we get to see what happens with it or not. Does that make sense? Invite people to church. And when you are given the opportunity in your sphere of influence to share your story, what is your story? It is your salvation story. When you're given the opportunity to share that, share that. You got the cure. They're sick and you got the cure. How dare you not share it with them? Share your story. Your story is so meaningful to the people in your world, in your sphere of influence. Leverage your story for somebody else's forever. You probably know somebody who is not a believer where your story is impactful for them and my story would be meaningless to them. But God has orchestrated your friendship. He's orchestrated the person in the cubicle next to you is there for a reason, right? That is what he does in his, in his sovereignty. And so I said a minute ago, y'all, um, that you don't have a salvation story if you don't got salvation. You don't. If you're not saved, you don't have a salvation story. So if you find yourself today wandering around in the, in the, the, the spiritual lostness of your own little jamboree or your own little Disney world, today's the day that all of that can change. Today is the day where you can say yes to that and you'll have a witness, right? You'll have a testimony. You'll have a, your own salvation story. You'll go from lost to found. And it is just so simple. It is so simple. I repent of my sins. I repent of my sin. And I believe that that death on that cross took care of it. I believe that that death on that cross paid the penalty that I couldn't pay myself. And I'm just going to ask Christ to live inside of me. I'm going to ask Him uh, through His Holy Spirit to save me. And I'm saved. And I got a story. And my story can be leveraged for someone else. So look, if, you, if that is you today, I want you all to, uh, to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if that is you today, I want you to pray that. You pray it, talk to God however it is you want to. In your head or out loud, it makes no difference. But I want you to think it, and, 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 even, and if you need to say it, you say it. But it is just today, Lord, is the day that I, that I ask you to save me. Today is the day, Lord, that I will repent of my sin and that I believe uh, that you took care of it. And, Lord, I beg you to save me because I want to serve you the rest of my life. I want to be a witness for you. And so, y'all... If that is you, I lift you up. Lord, I lift these folks up to you. I lift our church family up to you. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that, that every person in this room that has the opportunity to say yes to you will say yes to you today. And so, Lord, I lift them up to you. I lift their families up to you. I lift our church body up to you. And, Lord, I pray in this next Seven days, Lord, before we come back next Sunday, that we will have tons, 
dozens and dozens and dozens of divine encounters that you will have orchestrated this week the intersecting of our life with somebody else's life and that your gospel gets shared and that an invitation to a church gets shared and that at the end of the day that would lead to heaven being a little more full. That would lead to more people coming to a saving faith of you. And so, Lord, I lift that up to you in your son's precious name. Amen.